So, you know, I've noticed there's an unusually large number of mayors who've expressed interest in the presidential campaign this year. There's uh, Mayor Pete, of course. There was Mayor de Blasio. Former Mayor of Burlington, Vermont, Bernie Sanders. And now we're teased by our former mayor, Mike Bloomberg. By the way, the last time a former mayor or mayor actually won the presidency, do you know when, do you know who? Anyone have this history down? Someone guessed wrong at the nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> that person said Teddy Roosevelt. It actually is Calvin Coolidge, who was elected in 1924. Who knows how this resolves by next year. But with Bloomberg's flirtation recently, I got to thinking about mayors this week. What a critical component of our civil in infrastructure they are. You know, they're very close to the ground, land, people, issues. In a conversation with a friend who lives in Boston this week, I was reminded of Boston's mayor, Martin Walsh, who first came to his seat in 2014. I had remembered his campaign attracting attention because of his interesting backstory. At the time, the Boston Globe summarized it this way. In a race that lacked substantial policy differences, Walsh won as an affable everyman with a compelling life story. The 46-year-old spoke often about his immigrant roots, his battle with childhood cancer, he was diagnosed with leukemia at the age of seven, his brush with a stray bullet that grazed his leg after a night of drinking, and his struggle to overcome alcoholism. Evidently, bullets, cancer, and alcoholism can give a man perspective. Subconsciously, it builds up strong character, Walsh said at the time. And that piece of his story, evidently connected with a wide cross-section of Boston's population, and as an active participant in Alcoholics Anonymous, Walsh had the very strong backing of the recovery community, which, as you might know, slices through all segments of society from top to bottom, left to right. I happen to be a very big fan of the various anonymous programs. Early in my ministry, I learned how effective they were in providing context and community for addicts of every sort and the broad range of people they impacted, including extended family members and friends. I don't know if you know that on Tuesday evenings, we host what I believe to be the largest AA meeting in New York City. It fills this sanctuary, standing room only, every Tuesday. It's one of the oldest continuous meetings in New York, and I believe its founding dates from the early 1940s. I'm very glad we can offer this hospitality. Powerful stories are shared and people find hopeful community and support of their intention to evolve into greater health. Walsh has now been sober for over 20 years now 
And the thing I want to highlight this morning is that this success could not be sustained without his intentional habits of attending to things that matter most of all. Contending with issues of integrity, health, wholeness, and compassionate regard. The first three steps of the famous 12 steps into sobriety are these. First, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. Second, that our lives had become unmanageable. And third, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That was part of number two. Made a decision to turn out our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Week after week after week after week, these and other practices are rehearsed and discussed and modeled and supported. And then sometimes someone who intentionally adopts and maintains them for 20 years can emerge as the mayor of Boston. That's a pretty successful program, isn't it? You'll notice in the first three steps that it is very much a spiritual program and the disciplines trace out a spiritual path. People go to meetings to remind themselves of the principles that lead to health and wholeness and integrity and to gather with others for support and encouragement. Then they go back out into their lives, their work and their relationships and try to intentionally stay on track. Intentionality is key. Well, intentionality and follow through. interesting that intentionality and follow-through requires a kind of integrity so as people work the program they gain greater integrity so true to the spirit of AA there are many stories about Martin Walsh helping others like this one one night 16 years ago a cocaine and whiskey addict was thrown out of a detox center It was below zero and he had nowhere to go. So he slipped into Boston Medical Center to get warm. And there by chance, he met Walsh, who he did not know. Walsh was helping someone else. Walsh made a quick phone call and got his new friend into a halfway house. Later, he helped him find a job. All on the spare of the moment, a stranger. This guy didn't know me from Adam and he embraced me, Jim Taylor said of Walsh as he knocked on doors on behalf of Walsh's candidacy. He's not a phony. He's not a fake. He's kept a word, and he's followed through. Wow, how refreshing is that? Honestly, I wouldn't mind it if someone said that about me. How about you? In my conversation with my Boston friend, I learned that Walsh receives mixed reviews on policy outcomes, but near universal approval of his character and transparency, which accounts for his landslide re-election in 2017. In stark contrast to current political conditions, his story reveals the power of intentional spiritual commitment. I suppose I should mention here that Walsh is an actively identified Christian. And I'm thinking we should pay attention to how intentional practice builds character and character builds healthy community 
and healthy politics as well. There's a very simple point here for our purposes today. It's related to this matter of intentional spirituality, which is mostly unsupported by the larger culture. I mean, that's right, isn't it? You'd agree with me that there are now no cultural supports for spiritual practice in New York City today, right? Religious identity is draining out from our urban culture faster than landline telephones. And as far as many of your friends and co-workers are concerned, you're going to church on a Sunday morning is an odd affectation, likely. I'm guessing you may not talk about it all that much, too. Maybe the equivalent of CCA, Christ Church Anonymous. <laughs> Even so, if you approach this sincerely, it requires intentionality and follow-through. For most here today, attendance is not as imperative as it might be for an alcoholic finding a meeting. But if faith has a claim on our lives, if loving God above all things and our neighbors as ourselves is the ground beneath our feet and the air that inflates our lungs, it stands to reason that intentional spiritual practice becomes absolutely essential. as it is with any relationship we say really, really matters. It's the habits of the heart, the behaviors, the commitments of time and attention and integrity that tell the truth. You know how this is. If I tell you that I love my children and don't spend a shred of time with them, I'm lying to myself because love is as love does. Love isn't a statement. It's a collection of behaviors. And here's where that blunt assessment of C.S. Lewis comes in handy. What you do screams so loud, I can't hear what you say. Which begs this question. When it comes to our spiritual lives, what is it that we're actually doing? How do our intentions get exercised and follow through behaviors? So in today's gospel lesson, Jesus says to the crowds, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God. This speaks of develop, developing habits concerning the things that matter most. You're not going to hear about this in the normal course of a typical day out there unless you intentionally seek it out. You know, friends, I have learned over the years that addictive behaviors come in all shapes and configurations. I would go so far as to say there isn't a person here who does not suffer from some form of addictive behavior.
the people at AA are only one variation on a theme. But honestly, is alcohol really any worse than addiction to money? To have that be the all-consuming purpose and your only primary definition of success? Is it any worse than sex, sleep, pills, work, adrenaline, pretending we're something we're not? That's a big one. Lying, ego. Anyone present who is addicted to technology? What we say here is that developing spiritual disciplines throws open the bars of our self-imposed prisons. Life awaits. Life in all of its spectacular glory. Stepping out, we learn what love really is and how intentional dis disciplines make lives of meaning possible. We can't really love well without a bracing set of disciplines. And here I want to highlight three essential practices. I don't have time to delve into them much. I basically can just list them. The practice of worship, the practice of prayer, and the practice of generosity. Have you thought of generosity as a practice before? Worship, prayer, generosity. There are other disciplines we could list, of course, but as a simple practical matter, these three are essential. Worship, prayer, generosity. I call them practices because they only have meaning if we actually do them. Worship is a large concept that encompasses a fundamental ordering of the cosmos, remembering who's who and how we fit into the scheme of things. But a component of worship is doing what we're doing here this morning with the community of faith. Prayer is our explicit and intentional awareness of God's presence in our lives. It is the language of spiritual relationship. If I say I love my wife and never communicate with her or communicate very poorly, once again, I am lying to myself. The practice of generosity flows out of God's astonishing generosity towards us, including our very lives. Oh, how quickly we forget that we had nothing to do with our being born. We take credit for it, actually, implicitly. Good for me. I got born. <laughs> Giving is God's way of entrusting us to make a difference in the world. How trustworthy are we? Giving is God's way of entrusting us to make a difference. That's assuming we want to make a difference. To be salt and light requires the discipline of regularly giving yourself away. And here's where I would have said in a few minutes, 
you'll have an opportunity to practice this discipline. Maybe you acted early because you thought you'd get a discount. There's a reason we ask for a pledge of support. Yes, we need the money, don't get me wrong, but the pledge is a tangible discipline over time. It binds your intention to your practice. It's growing up. taking stock, being honest with ourselves, considering what we really intend. Worship, prayer, and generosity, practices that will take us the distance all the way home at last. Worship, prayer, generosity. And friends, as those of you know who received my pastoral letter this past week, Christ Church is about to embark on a major project. We're going to do the first major renovation restoration of this sanctuary in 90 years. And it's going to require our moving our worship into Phillips Hall downstairs for about 10 months, starting with the first service following Christmas. It's coming right up. An act of generosity on your part will be to say, I want to make that work really well, and I want to participate in delivering the hospitality of Christ Church, the hospitality that you heard about from Charlene and Coco not long ago. You heard what our hospitality actually means in the lives of actual people. And the thing you need to observe is that you make that possible. You do. You make that possible. We collectively, because we have thrown in with one another to love God above all things and our neighbors as ourselves, and by God, we're going to stand on that as our principal vocation in life. And it calls us to be generous beyond our wildest imaginings with our means, with our time, with our hearts, with our hands. It is a beautiful thing, a commendable thing, and a thing that will Redignify your life. We want to situate Christ Church for the future in a brand new way. Come this time next year, relaunching Christ Church 2.0. It's an exciting prospect, friends, and we're going to need you and all of us together, bound together in the common cause. I, for one, am quite excited. It's going to draw out the best from all of us.